everyone, welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera, available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined on the line by the usual podcasting Justice League. First, it's the platforming prodigy that is Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? I know it's Friday, but I can't remember what the concept of a Friday feels like. And I, my understanding is you got to get down on Friday. I just feel like I'm in some sort of space-time continuum. Continuum, whatever you know the word. If you haven't been hit by a roller coaster made from crunchy yet, then it's not Friday. <laughs> that voice you heard is the Roman Reigns of audio, Jack Lazell. Jack, how are you this Friday? I'm all right. Just dropping obscure mid-90s chocolate advert references into the proceedings because that's where we are now. Let's face it. We've consumed all of the media and what we're doing is just re-watching old nonsense on yeah. YouTube. I believe the, the end credits on Netflix rolled for you last week and now it's just <laughs> there's just nothing yeah. left. Yeah, ne- I, I'm Jay from The Inbetweeners. Netflix, complete it, mate. Yeah, the bit where the bit where it says the end at the end of a film, it just comes up. Go and be free, Lazel. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like mid nineties, um, uh, my girlfriend had uh, a playlist on the other day, like a dance playlist, and you know the song that plays in for the Guinness advert, like the really famous one, the bum bada bum bum bada bum 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 bada bum bum. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey, I know this song. It's from this advert, and she's like, I, I don't know what advert, and so I played it for her. And I'd completely forgotten that 90s adverts, uh, in England at least, are really fucking weird. Um, oh, dude. The PlayStation the advert PlayStation ad with, is the with the weird yeah, eyes. With the weird eyes is, is the, the main Is that one. the David Lynch one? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... I th- yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. But even like that the, the Guinness PS2, advert... The PS2, the, the third place ads were yes. the David Lynch ones. But even yeah. like that, mm. that Guinness advert, it's just it's a guy surfing and there are some horses that come over the waves and then that's it. And it's like, go drink Guinness. Yeah. Uh, and... Oh, dude, yeah, there's some really <laughs> weird good shit. I, well, yeah. I need to send you one that I had completely forgotten about. Um, and I don't want to tell you what it's for, but there's like an Irish advert... That's like two minutes long from the 90s. And it's like something out of fucking Ghost in the Shell. And <laughs> what it leads to, you are not fucking expecting. I'll tell you that much. I, I've always wanted to watch an Irish version of Ghost in the Shell. I, oh, and Dave, you, you need to you tweet this from our account now. You do realise that. Yeah, yeah, I've got to. Um, okay, make yourself yeah, no. a note. Because I want to see it too. But uh, speaking of stuff we've been watching, uh, I'm, I'm going to go to Mr. Lazell first. Um, it's not just been mid-90s adverts we've been consuming on the podcast this week. You've got yourself some TV, and the first one you've got here on the list, Jack, is something I want to I wanna talk about for sure. Yeah, it's, it's the last dance. It's the Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls, mid-90s documentary. Not made to be confused the... with the, uh, the Julia Stiles cinematic epic, Save the Last Dance. <laughs> Definitely not to be confused Which with I that. saw in the fucking cinema, by the way. <laughs> I mean, why? <laughs> My cousin dragged me. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, man. Is Channing Tatum in that? Or is that another one of those movies? I think it is a Tyrese is it Tyrese? Well, I know Channing Tatum is definitely in one of those dance movies. Where oh, that was him. no, that was the. Um, oh, I know which ones you're talking about, but yeah, it's not. Um, hold on, you, not you, magic. You I was going to say you're not, you're not talking specifically about Magic Mike. I must be saying else. Yeah, it's not Magic Mike because I know because Kevin step Nash up. wasn't in it. So it yeah, I think it might be Step Up. Oh, I can't remember. No, it's Step Up. It's Step Up because he was in it with his missus, wasn't he? At the yeah. time, his his missus at the time was Jenna Dewan, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. 
did they get divorced? I think they just got divorced. Anyway, fuck it. So I was watching The Last Dance, right? <laughs> um, uh, it's Sean great. Patrick it's... Thomas and Kerry Washington co-star in Save the Last Dance. Oh, okay. Good to know. I was just ready to Do talk you know about what? Kevin Nash's film back catalogue because there's some heavy hitters in there <laughs> between Magic Mike and Je- John Wick. This is the second... This is the second podcast I've been on this week where the filmography of Kevin Nash has come up. <laughs> but at least the other one's yet. a bit more on brand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. There's a Save the Last Dance stan out there somewhere who is furious at us right now. They've been waiting you know 15 it, years for the Save the Last Dance podcast, and they just got the bait and switch. Yeah, exactly. If it wasn't that, it would be on how did, it, how did this get made, probably, yeah. right? Truly. Uh, but anyway, that's not what you were watching. I mean, it's what I'm going to go and watch now. Um, <laughs> there's a guy in that movie called Fredro Star. Is that even a name? Anyway. Um, Is that so, yeah. a Mexican Freddy Star? Uh, that's what I thought. It's <laughs> like it's Fred... Spielbergo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, he's a hardcore rapper and record producer who could, yeah, probably, looking at him, probably beat the shit out of me. So I'm going to end my Fredro Star-based banner here because you know it will get back to him. It always gets back to Fredro. <laughs> and uh, that's one thing he's known for. He hears about it. <laughs> There's your podcast title. It always gets back to Fredro. Anyway, done. <laughs> so... The last dance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, it's been two weeks the since la- we've spoken to each other, so this is going to happen. But we were having such a normal pre-episode conversation as well. Like, we were just chatting, you know, oh, this is happening, that's happening, and we've gone on and we've just absolutely lost the plot within the space You say of normal, minutes. we were talking about 90s Maiden. There's nothing normal about that. Oh, I mean, come on! You're, you're saying that "Man on the Edge" isn't a great tune. No, no, you it's don't not. Kick it to fu- Fuck you. you! don't kick it to future real. What about Angel the Gambler? Uh, you can, you Where can stop you now. Please one? stop. Okay. I'm sorry. Anyway, I encouraged this. To a tangent off. How many times am I going to say anyway? Uh, the last starts. I just can't get the segue on, guys. I keep this going for about it. two hours, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with a quiz in there that I didn't even know was going to happen. The last dance is really good, isn't it, Dave? I'm going to throw yeah. the ball to you, because <laughs> I can't yeah. get this job done here. So, it's, um, yeah, it's awesome. It's the 10 part, it's a 30 for 30, isn't it? Yeah, it's done by, um, produced by ESPN, so, yeah. and it's so, within that sort of oeuvre. Yeah, so it's a 10 part sports documentary series about the golden era of the Chicago Bulls, and specifically Michael Jordan. Um... And it's really interesting because the I love the framing of it. I, I've heard a couple of... I've listened to a couple of podcasts where they're talking about The Last Dance and some people who I think aren't 100% plugged in are finding it hard enough to follow the timeline. So there's like an overarching... The whole season tells the story of the... Is it the 97-98 season? Yeah, where yeah the 98 the, season. Yeah, so they're where they're going for their third three-peat. So their sixth NBA championship in a row. Um, and... All the while, it kind of half the half of each episode cuts back to a particular point in time as well. So, say the first episode is about the season where Michael uh, signs with the Bulls, and there's been an episode on Scottie Pippen and his career with the Bulls, and there's an episode when it gets to the point in the the timeline where Dennis Rodman arrives. There's been two episodes on Rodman now. The first when he was in opposition with the Pistons, and the second is more about his time with the Bulls, and all the while you're telling the story of the 98 season and you're also bringing the the B story is bringing the timeline up from 
I want to say is it 1986 or 1987, um, Jack, that that uh, Jordan arrives at the Bulls. It's somewhere around there, isn't it? I think it was 85, actually. Oh, it might be uh, 85, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mid-80s, anyway, we'll say. I know, it's 84, 1984. 84. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, it tells the story all the way leading up from there to this big defining season that's going to be the kind of, like, the... Uh, they make it very apparent in the first episode that this is going to be the end of the dynasty uh, because the the coach isn't staying on. Um, Scotty Pippen is leaving. Michael Jordan has said he will not play for another coach. Um, so it's about this era coming to an end and the the people and the games that defined it. And it's something that like the the level of popularity of the Chicago Bulls was such that I think e- even us three guys growing up in in the UK and Ireland in the mid-1990s knew exactly who Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were. Yeah, I mean, Space Jam in in of itself, like, even if you're a kid in Ireland or the UK or or anywhere around the world, you Mm. probably saw Space Jam in the cinemas. It it did pretty good business. Not only that, but, like, I think growing up, the only two, like, the the two times I remember um footwear becoming like iconic and desired were the Predator football boot and the Air Jordans and the Jordans. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like even if you weren't a Space Jam guy, like that iconic logo of of Jordan with the legs kind of splayed as he's going up for the basket, it just like it burns into your brain. Um, but yeah, it's been absolutely fascinating so far. I I have I I think it's one of those. It's such a well construct. I you might not agree with me on this jack but I, I think even if you're not a big sports guy like the two of us are i think it's completely riveting yeah i mean to me it's more of the human story because if you want to go back and see how good michael jordan was or see what scotty pippen could do or see don dennis rodman just housing people and then going hanging out with kim jong-un like you could see that like that's easy mm-hmm. to see but what you don't get really is this sort of inside kind of baseball or inside basketball in this case view of like not just the thoughts and emotions of people around at the time but actually the the raw nitty-gritty of it so people are always looking back at, at periods of time they're writing articles they're dissecting and they're getting you know they're getting their analysis from from general things that they kind of assume or infer or were inferred by people at the time whereas this you've got all of the key players uh, with the exception of the gm for the balls who passed away sadly a few years ago Mm. and you just get like i I always find these things more interesting because i know we've got a lot of um we've got a lot of documentaries now that are kind of being set within the thing. Like we've already mentioned the the Tottenham Hotspur one that's coming out um, and their season's been an absolute disaster. So everyone's going to really look forward to seeing it. But when you take a little bit of time back and you let all the dust settle and all the things that were immensely personal at the time have kind of like blown away a little bit, or for some people they haven't, which is even more interesting, right? Mm. But everybody's reflection and analysis is more clarified because they've had time to deal with all the emotions and think about it. And you're getting like a real solid dissection from all of the characters involved and a really interesting breakdown. And yeah, all of the footage and stuff that they've got that was filmed like in and around and like backstage of like basketball courts and stuff. And you, it's so good. Like it, it's, it's the era now that we're in every sort of 20 or 30 years you go back, there's just this wealth of material to look at. I thought it was a Maradona documentary as well, Dave. I think this is to me, this is very reminiscent 
of the Maradona documentary where you've got this, like, you've got a team around him, but you've got this ascendant figure who is almost on a deity level in terms of their fame and adoration from all of the people around them at all times. And you're seeing a real focus in on what that's doing to them. Jordan, it made him steely Maradona. He went off the rails. So this is, and you, that, that steely exterior of Jordan is what's always made him so fascinating, which is why it's cool that he's actually agreed to sit down and say what he's, properly thoughts and feelings were in that situation because he doesn't ever give anything away there's even like a 20 20 minute section where it's just like you know i don't say anything to journalists and then loads of clips of him going well i'm going to give you the same answer i always give you and and then not knowing what to say or print it's interesting that you would uh bring up the maradona documentary because i was listening to the british wrestling wrestling experience just there this morning and uh, benno was talking about it and the the documentary he likened uh, the last dance to was senna also an Asif Kapadia joint. Um, So you're very much in the same wavelength on that. And it is, yeah. I I think it's always fascinating to get, um, even if you're not a sports person, to to create this documentary or this biopic about somebody who's just transcendent in their field. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a boxing guy, but I will watch documentaries um, and films about Muhammad Ali all day long. You know, mm. just fasc- fascinated by figures that transcend the sport. And like you said, the human story behind it. And I think one of the funny, one of the interesting things that this documentary does that you don't see done an awful lot. Um, there is this element of like uh, giving a right of reply because a lot of documentaries you kind of get one person's perspective and then another person's perspective and that's fine we move on to the next thing then but what happens here is multiple occasions in the first four episodes they've been doing two a week on Netflix so there's four episodes out now Um, the first four episodes they've had multiple occasions where there's kind of two parties that are disagreeing or seeing things completely differently and what they'll do then is They'll show Michael Jordan or they'll show Scottie Pippen or they'll show Phil Jackson the video of what the other person said to give them the right of reply to go, oh, that's horseshit, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, which so, I think is a really interesting take on things. Yeah. So that was one of the peaks of it so far to me is so there's this big incident where there's like obviously the the bad boy Pistons had beat the Bulls two years in a row in the playoffs and the Bulls finally overcame them. And uh, they all walked off the court without shaking anyone's hands. And it was this huge controversy in American sports at the time. And you could see Jordan was still pissed about it. And, and, and the guy, in an attempt to make Jordan less pissed, is he's like, oh, do you want to see what the Isaiah Thomas, the, the Pistons like star player, actually said about it? And he was just kind of like, well, he could say whatever he wants. Are you going to change anything? And he showed him it. And you could see in his eyes that little twitch of rage as yeah. this guy was explaining what the story was to him. And that's just, to me, again, that's fascinating. Because you said about Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali gives you so much in everything he does. Yes, a lot of it is a performance. But he's very emotional and a very evocative human being. And he will give you a lot, whereas Jordan doesn't really give you a lot. Whereas it's those little moments, like you said, where you're seeing a person watching back someone else's reaction. Like when they showed that clip of Jordan's mum talking about like what he had to do to, you know, in college where he wrote that letter to his mum and asked him, oh, can you send me some more money because I'm running out of food and stuff like that. And you saw the emotion on his face when she was reading, when they were reading that back from, uh, or no, mm. playing that back to him from yeah. her, which I thought was really cool too. And I think it's it's something that's interesting as well, like in terms of given the human side of things that I think like with, with distance since his career and stuff like that, we kind of, we, we put Jordan as one of these people up on a pedestal that he was this perfect kind of uh, 
figure but one of the things that that uh behind the scenes or courtside footage we're getting here is you're getting to see the side of him that possibly made him kick on that extra part and make him the top athlete and that was the little bit of rage he had in him you know yeah. there's he's definitely a guy who like once the 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 penny dropped that he can't do it all by himself and he started playing for the team that's one level he kicks on to just become brilliant but then to become the iconic uh, would would you still say he is the greatest basketball player in our lifetimes yes uh i i kind of think that it's a debate that's reared its head in the last few years with the ascendancy of of lebron james yeah he is the one because like i think yeah. most people would say he passed magic johnson and larry bird yeah i think i think so and then like people like um like Wilt Chamberlain or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar don't really get as much recognition because as as time sort of passes, it's a bit why that Jimmy Greaves documentary was really cool. It's like Jimmy Greaves is, you know, every bit as good as, say, like a Wayne Rooney from now, but people, you know, as the distance gets further, people don't acknowledge it. But just on raw talent, like some of the shots Jordan makes where he jumps up into the air, goes to throw the ball one way, swings the ball like down, like from one hand to the other, and then loops it over people into the basket in the space of like half a second, Dave. It's just terrifying how a human being could do that because I look yeah. at it and I just think I'd break all of my legs and <laughs> the ball would go up in the air and I'd probably collapse into some sort of heap of failure. Yeah. Piss yourself or something. <laughs> I would piss myself, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Because if Dennis Rodman was charging at me to try and knock me out, he probably would kill me. So Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's the other thing before we move on. The, the one last thing that I want to, like, in terms of people who are humanised and people you get a closer look at, the Dennis Rodman of it all is is fascinating and um i i I, my ire was gotten up by uh one bill simmons this week on twitter who uh, who has constantly maintained the line that dennis rodman is a very uninteresting person and i was like are you talking about the same dennis rodman as me are you watching the same documentary i am because like this dude uh jack so many layers to him Uh, like yeah people forget because of the the eccentricities of which there are many but, like, this dude was legitimately a generational talent, uh, like, as a defensive basketball player. Some of the, like, uh, some of the clips, because obviously I haven't watched a huge amount of NBA in my time. Some of the clips about how quick that dude was at just, like, n- just, just schooling guys who were trying to, trying to score, uh, incredible stuff like because yeah I, it's the it's the winning the ball back from the rebounds that he yeah. used to do so well so like if someone takes a shot and they miss the first hand in the air was always rodman's to get the yeah. ball back and he would just feed jordan and pippen the ball every time yeah um and just like uh, fun stories about how like he would just need to get away and let all the dennis rodman of it all out every now and then and it was kind of like and this is something Benno said as well. And it was very reminiscent of how, um, in particular, I'm sure you'll agree with this comparison, how Alex Ferguson would handle Eric Cantona. Yeah. In as much as Rodman got treated differently by Phil Jackson to everybody else. And they allowed him, there was like a conference between Jordan, who's like obviously the, the, the MVP of the franchise, Rodman and Phil Jackson about letting Rodman go to Vegas. And he wanted to go for a week. And they were like, can you get your vacation done in 48 hours? So Rodman went and drank himself silly in Las Vegas with Carmen Electra. And um, 
yeah, that was it. Like Carmen Electra turns up. You like you remember like just how many interesting things end up happening to Dennis Rodman. It's like ha- and they don't even get to the NWO. Yeah, they don't even get to the NWO. And also, they said forty-eight hours. Dennis Rodman was gone for like ten days. Yeah, and it wasn't the, it wasn't the only time he did it because I was covering this for Days of Thunder. Is like he very famously skipped out on Bulls practice before the 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 finals. Uh, with the Utah Jazz, so that he could appear on Nitro. There you go. Does not not a single care in the world. No. But yeah, it's 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 a great. I mean, it's a great documentary. Yeah. It's a fascinating human story. If you have any inclination of being interested in sport, you enjoy it. And I think even if you don't, yeah. uh, it's so good. I thoroughly recommend yeah. it. Mark, get on it. Yeah. Uh, Mark, we'll actually shoot to you next because I feel like I, I, I vaguely know what this show's about and we may need my one to, to lift us for the next segment. I was going to say, this is a depressing <laughs> show, guys. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, I haven't watched uh, all of it. It's I have bits and pieces that um, the girlfriend has on in the background, um, whether like I'm video editing or playing or whatever. And uh, she'd had season two of Afterlife on. Um, so I was just kind of like, hearing it in the background and you know I'm always kind of relatively interested in what Ricky Gervais does not that I'm a a proponent of some of his feelings and thoughts on um, certain things in the world uh, at this time but you know in terms of his written output and in terms of um, some of the shows that he's created you know he's obviously very very good Um, and I was just yeah, I was hearing this in the background and it kind of grabbed my attention and I was watching a few episodes of it and I don't know how much of it you two guys have watched, but uh, in terms of being like a black comedy, I mean, it really fits it to a T in terms of it has the the tone and um, type of humor that Ricky Gervais is known for, um, but it very much is, you know, centered around the story of this guy who is dealing with the grief of his wife um, passing away from breast cancer and how he copes and moves on with his life and just, you know, just tries to live day to day. And, you know, I've never known or thought about Ricky Gervais as any kind of, you know, anyone that's like excelled in terms of being an actor. I mean, you watch Ricky Gervais perform and, you know, he is always quintessentially Ricky Gervais. Um, And, but for whatever reason here, it, it is the most... I don't know, he, he just really nails the role, even though it is him being him to a certain degree, but just in terms of grabbing that sense of um, despair that would come from from losing a loved one and how he tries to cope with it. And, you know, it's directed and, and written by him. So obviously, you know, he is writing this character that he's performing as, so he knows exactly what the role uh, requires. And he does an incredible job with it. Like, it really... I don't want to say it took me by surprise, but it really grabbed my attention because, you know, I wasn't paying attention to it. It was on in the background, but um, even from the few episodes that I watched, there was one particular scene that by the end of it, I genuinely, I I was shedding tears. Uh, very, very powerful stuff. Um, and yeah, like, again, he can be a bit of a prick in real life sometimes, granted, but uh, this is a very good show and from from the bits that i watched and it's definitely not like the easiest thing to watch but he definitely does a good job of weaving in the comedy with the the very kind of powerful and emotional moments and bringing the comedy back into it 
Um, and there's also, I think, what helps is there's a really good um, ensemble cast as well. Uh, Joe Wilkinson, who I always find hilarious, uh, he's really, really good. Uh, Roshin Kanati, she's really, really good. Uh, just, yeah, there's a really, really good cast, which I think helps uh, overall with it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a guy who, like, I've heard good things about it. I've heard it recommended uh, a few times, but uh, I got to live with you. I hate the man's face. I, I, I get I, it. I get I, it. Genuinely, I'm past the point of being able to abide seeing him in things. Um, and, like, it, I think the last time I was able to just about grin and bear it was, like, the Muppets Most Wanted. Um, just because I love the Muppets so much, I just had to endure him being in it. Um but yeah, other than that, like he hasn't done it for me for so long. And that's not me kind of like uh, kind of negating what you have. That's I, I know a very personal thing that I just want to punch my TV whenever I see his stupid fucking face. Um, <laughs> I actually think his worst character and his worst show is the thing he's most famous for. I really don't like The Office. I really don't like David Brent. Like David Brent is it, it's just I don't know. It's designed to be irritating and painful, but it, it, it goes it crosses the line where it's like, I can't even laugh at you because I'm just so pissed off by you. Whereas other things he's done, like Extras was really good. I like Life is Short. I very much like, similar to the description of um, Afterlife, Mark, there's a couple of black comedy style things he did. One called Ghost Town, which is uh, about a guy who nearly dies and is brought back to life on the operating table. And then he can speak to people who are in the afterlife, which is really interesting because then obviously becomes a conduit for everyone in the world that wants to contact their loved ones. Uh, and another thing as well called The Invention of Lying, which has been somewhat ruined by the fact that his best friend in it is uh, played by Louis C.K., who has since um, greatly disappointed me, who used to be a massive kind of fan of his. Not even necessarily for what he did with his whole... Um, you know, situation that he got himself in, which you can look up. Just kind of the what his comedy output since then has been um, subpar. Um, so yeah, that kind of that kind of ruins that film a bit. But it's a really great, it's a really interesting quirk of a movie because the idea in it is that everybody that no one can lie, everyone tells the truth all the time, and it's quite a, it's like a scarily sterile world with that happening. But he's so good in those things. I think his stand-up comedy is actually pretty good as well. It's just that. I don't the David Brent of it all just gets forced a bit too much down everyone's throats and that that's the thing that annoys me about Ricky Gervais but hey what are you gonna do I bet even he would admit that it's annoying David Brent but he makes a lot of money from it so why the fuck not um yeah it's one that I don't know if I'll ever get round to but I I do appreciate that a lot of people um seem to be enjoying it uh, speaking of enjoying, I watched a movie that I, I have, I, to my great shame because of like how much content there is out there, I haven't watched it a long time and was reminded quite uh, quite vividly why this is one of my favourite movies of all time. And I dare say one of the greatest movies in both of the genres it kind of straddles. Uh, and that was John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, which I, I dusted off my Blu-ray copy for for the first time. And holy shit, gentlemen. I like, again, the movie's been out for God knows how many years. It's um, 38, to be yeah, precise. There is very little that can be said about the thing that hasn't already been said. Uh, one of my one of my favorite little details about the thing came out the same day as Blade Runner. 
What wow. a year to be around. What a day to be around. Imagine <laughs> yeah. doing that back to back on a Friday night. I was watching a video about it after I watched it last night um, where they were talking about it and they were like, they they rattled off the list of things that came out that summer that like, I think Rocky 3 came out that summer and there was a, like a whole bunch of shit. Uh, it was just a proper great, you know, people often talk about the, the summer of Batman and um, Lethal Weapon and then Die Hard coming out later in 1989 that like um, that, that was a great year for cinema or I think people talk about 99 and 2007 being great years for cinema but holy shit like you get Blade Runner and The Thing on the same day and I know yep. the Blade Runner that came out in the cinema was, cinemas was the not the Blade release Runner, Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah it's still, still better than no Blade Runner uh, you know? uh, I guess you ask Harrison Ford that and he might say differently yeah um, I won't ask a Harrison Ford anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> that man just glower me to death. But uh, I, ho- I mean, holy- give him some weed; he'll probably be happy. Yeah, there are very few films I will say this about, guys. But like, the thing is pretty close to a perfect motion picture. Um, wow. In term, in terms of the ways it straddles the genres of sci-fi and horror, it is fantastic. In terms of its casting, from obviously Kurt Russell is incredible. Uh, in this movie, but also like Keith David and uh, Wilfred Brimley before he had the diabetes, um, <laughs> as the chief biologist. Like I, I, the the practical effects in this movie are just so good and they hold up so well. Like guys, Dave, rather than it, go on, yeah, it's it's it to me. Like I I just wanted I wanted to get this literally off my chest, and that is not a pun. But the bit with the chest and the arms is oh. one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen in a movie. Like oh, that is. The, it's cool. like every five minutes there's a new this is the most fucked up thing I've ever seen in my life. But like I haven't seen like you, I haven't seen the thing. In, I mean, well over a decade. But that is the one thing that sticks in my my mind is, oh, that's the one movie where the dude's chest turns into a it's, mouth and bites the guy's fucking arms off. You, you two know as well as anyone that when it comes to, to horror films, it's not exactly my forte. But what I do appreciate with um, the thing and Alien... Uh, two specific films is the practical effects and how even 30 40 years later the techniques they used to film those specific scenes you know talking about chests um you can hold that up against anything like today and i mean i will always take practical effects over cgi you know there are certain things about practical effects that just bring a sense of realism that CGI can just never do. However, um, well, you know, crafted and designed and man hours put into CGI, there is something about practical effects that will always, uh, will always just, yeah, have a sense of gravity and realism to it. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, those two films in particular. It, it's one of the great many reasons why the 2011 soft reboot of the thing didn't work they had tried to do practical effects and then like there was a producer's note that the practical effects didn't look modern enough so they digitized them all which just takes a lot of the effect out but um one of the things so there's there's two things i want to talk about that like about this movie that like well three things really that that hold up very well and the first is kind of like the the tension and the atmosphere and the paranoia of this movie is incredible because like, yes, there's the practical effect and there's the odd jump scare and stuff in it. And I will say this is one of those rare horror movies where I feel every jump scare in it is completely earned. 
you know it's yeah, not just agreed. jump scare to scare the pants off you like a slasher movie this is like they have laid the groundwork for every jump scare and every one of them makes sense um yeah but don't you think that's because of how well they set everything up and how yeah. fleshed out the, the characters you understand who yeah. the characters are as people and you understand yes. their reactions see i feel like when i watched this movie i was going through the same ordeal they were yeah. that's a good movie so, so there's a famous interview with Alfred Hitchcock where he talks about tension and suspense in cinema. And like a long held theory of suspense and tension is that, well, firstly, suspension tension can only be held when you actually know what the stakes are and care about the people involved. Right. Yes. Um, the second thing that he says is, right, if you have a, a scene that's in a room between two people and those two people talk for five minutes and then a bomb goes off. You've 10 minutes of drama or 10, 10 seconds of drama at the end where the bomb has gone off and people don't know what's going on. If you have a five minute scene where at the very start you tell the audience there is a bomb under the table and it is going off in five minutes, all of a sudden the exact same scene feels very, very different. Um, it's it's a guiding principle that people like um, Quentin Tarantino in particular, a man who has been on the top of my mind this week because I watched a documentary about him that Jack recommended to me. Um, You're welcome. He does beautifully in Inglorious Bastards in particular. So that yes. uh, that opening scene with uh, the farmer and with um, Hans Landa. Yeah, where <laughs> yeah. it's you, you, things are slightly off and you're feeling a little bit tense as soon as Landa arrives on the scene. But about halfway through it, the camera pans underneath and you see there are Jewish people hidden underneath the floorboards. And then the remaining 10 minutes of that scene are the most... I I think it's the most tense I have ever felt watching a film. It's just... it's Oh, it's incredible. Um, that 10 minutes won Christoph Waltz that Oscar. As good as he is yeah. in the rest of the movie, yeah. that scene is why he wins the Oscar there. Maybe that and the scene yeah. where he's uh, at the cocktail party and he starts pissing himself <laughs> about something. And he, yeah. oh, uh, to, be, to be fair, though, to me, um, Brad Pitt steals that scene with his gore lamy. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> before this becomes a Quentin Tarantino podcast, um, yeah... In the thing, you they establish the premise in Act 1 about this thing can morph into anything. It could be any one of us. And the because of that, there's always the underlying tension that you're reading into every action that every character has and every interaction that happens. And any time somebody disappears from screen, when they re-emerge, like, that could be the thing, you know? Um, it, that's incredible. Um, I think the... The soundtrack, if you can call it that, um, there is nominally there is supposed to be an Ennio Morricone soundtrack on this film, but a lot of that, um, I, I, you may not, you may know this, Jack. Um, a lot of Ennio Morricone's music got stripped out of this film, and replaced by the the vintage John Carpenter scoring the film itself more with ambient scary noises at at very precise moments. Yeah, I think Ennio Morricone is an is a fantastic composer, and he does yeah. have that light and shade thing of like using big moments and and bringing it right down really well. But I just think it, if you had something as signature as that under this movie, it would give it a whole different feel. So they probably tried it and just thought mm, this isn't quite right, and stripping it back to just the sort of tense sort of sounds it's more it's more yeah. acousmatic than it is musical yeah. and that I will, works much better i will give you incredible bonus brownie points if you know the film in which ennio morricone's unused the thing score is repurposed 
Oh my god, really? Yes. Uh, I, oh, I mean, I actually have no idea. You've what... seen it. Uh, it's got to be Tarantino then, right? Is yes. it Tarantino? It's uh, Is it that? Ah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you've got a film based in the Wild West. If you're not using any Marconi, then what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, the literally uh, entire sections of his soundtrack from the thing are used in the hateful eight, but um, the the other thing apart from the music and apart from the tension and stuff like that that I absolutely love and that uh, this is why the two of you not only need to rewatch this movie but you need to get it on Blu-ray specifically, uh, and that is the way this film <laughs> Stop is shot. Stop costing me money. <laughs> this the way this film is shot. Jesus Christ. Um. Like, I remember watching an old VHS copy of this was the first time I saw it. And it's all very dark and that does add to the horror some somewhat. But if you get to see this in full, crisp, high definition on a Blu-ray disc, or like I had it hooked up uh, through my Blu-ray player onto my 4K TV last night, and you get to see the colours in this movie, where there's like deep blues and purples going on, and the, the way the colour palette adds to... The, the feeling of dread that's going on and the, the way John Carpenter shoots his films in a very particular way. Again, I was watching because I was like, why, why does it look like that? And I'm watching these videos on YouTube afterwards about it. And he shoots in a very specific widescreen aspect ratio of 235-1. And uh, because of that, that's why if you remember back to the part in the film where they're using a lot of flares and stuff, the reason that the flares, the light stretches out the way it does horizontally is because of that aspect ratio that he's using. So it's it's a kind of like, it's a kind of almost lens flare that would have J.J. Abrams losing his trousers at the very prospect of. But again, it's something that feel feels earned with John Carpenter. Um, it's just, it's a fucking masterpiece of a film. And I don't feel like I need to sell most people on that, except people who, who somehow haven't seen the thing yet. Get that film watched, lads. Honestly, I, it, you will be rewarded. And it just generally speaking, watching it on Blu-ray and going, you, you know when you watch some things on Blu-ray and you're like, fuck, that doesn't hold up. That doesn't hold up. That doesn't look great now. Like I think of uh, The Matrix. I love The Matrix to bits, but there's a couple of effects shots in The Matrix that look like dog shit on Blu-ray. Uh, in particular, the bit where he kind of hits the ground and it rubber bands him back up and... Uh. Um, that didn't a, look great at the time though but you kind of accept yeah. it because it's cool yeah and the bit where uh, Trinity jumps through the window uh, yeah both that's of those like a really shots, bad green screen effect that one yeah they yeah. look like horseshit now especially like the higher the definition the more obvious it is um, but like 99.9% uh, .9 of the thing looks like this thing could have been shot three or four years ago it's See, incredible i don't need to watch the thing because i don't know if you two have ever seen the guy that made the recreation of the thing using the assets from pingu uh, the thing it. it's fuck it that, is it called the thing i if it think it probably is actually it it's on youtube it's only a couple of minutes yeah. long uh but that's a fucking masterpiece uh, um but anyway yeah that's the thing uh get it watched uh let's move on talk about video games we'll start with mark this time yeah, uh, Streets of Rage Four. That's that's a game. That's a game that I I quite enjoy quite a lot. Um, I how many hours was that stream, Mark? Of you playing the whole game? It was three hours, just under three hours, and that was uh, yeah, that was a single playthrough. And yeah, I mean, look. So the last Streets of Rage game came out in nineteen ninety four, and the idea of a, a beat em up game at that time was purely based on 
it's the kind of game that you would have in in the arcades. It was a coin up, and it was a way to rinse quarters out of kids. And then they made the the conversion to the the home console um, with the likes of Final Fight and Golden Axe and Streets of Rage. And they were still very much based in you know the dynamics and the mechanics of how those games played. It was still based off of what you were doing, what the designers were doing in the arcades of, you know, you would very much struggle to avoid taking hits and then you'd always have the bosses that would really ramp up the difficulty and you'd always lose a couple of lives just without fail. And one of the things that would always frustrate me with those games when I was younger is like, why is there not a fucking block feature to help me out? And it was for that reason, it's like, you couldn't not avoid taking damage. Um, so coming into Streets of Rage 4, where, you know, we are in just a whole nother world now where um, this game isn't being designed for the purpose of being in the arcades. So I was really curious to see how this game would be adapted for the modern audience. And I was also, because when I the first trailer came out, uh, I want to say about a year or so ago, I wasn't entirely sold on the graphical style and the... The conversion for like retro games to a, a modern system or a modern art style doesn't always end up very well, looking at you Sonic 4, and they have to revert back to what is tried and tested, tried, tried and tested but um, with a few kind of modern uh, techniques here and there. I mean, you know, Sonic Mania, you couldn't make Sonic Mania on a Mega Drive, but it looks like it's a very kind of high advanced version of a Mega Drive game. So... The artwork for Streets of Rage 4, it is, is obviously very modern, and I playing it through, it absolutely works, and I'm glad they went with this approach. Um, and it works in conjunction with the new um, uh, mechanics in place. And like, there's only a few kind of big change, a few changes to the combat, but they're pretty big, and there's still no block feature, which pisses me off to no end. But one of the things that they changed is that when you would uh, punch an enemy off the screen, they would disappear off the screen and you couldn't get to them. You had to wait for them to come back onto the screen and then you would be able to detect the hitbox. And sometimes you could kind of like hit them just off of screen, but for the most part, you had to wait for them to come back. What they changed here is that enemies will now bounce off of the edge of the screen, regardless of whether you know, you're next to a wall or not. If they hit the edge of the screen, they will bounce back towards you, which means you can start to chain a combo together uh, and it's no kind of you know killer instinct type combo but you can get a few more hits in um, which you can really use to your advantage for trying to clear our enemies clearer uh, sooner sorry um, and so depending on the character that you're using you can have different approaches for doing that type of uh, crowd clearance and so I was using Axel who's like the main guy who's kind of like an all-rounder but clearly in the 10 years in storyline since the last game he's kind of let himself go a bit and he's got a bit of a dad bod and he seems a bit slower um and towards the latter, latter half of the game uh he was just not particularly fun to use so we switched over to blaze who's a little bit quicker and her ability to train combos with her moves were, was a hell of a lot easier and one of the things with her is if a player is flat on if a, an opponent is flat on the ground you can't hit them um, which is really frustrating because it's like, please give me like a low kick, like in a Tekken or something, so I can get a few more kicks in. But she, one of her attacks, she does this sort of like front flip, um, double axe handle almost. And if an enemy is bouncing off the floor, because they'll always bounce a little bit before they stop, you can get a few more hits in that way. 
Um, so the the emphasis on the combo, um, I th it works. It, it's definitely um, needed to kind of modernize the the combat style. Past that. There aren't too many great changes. They One of the things, um, so you have special attacks. And when you do a special attack, it's like a real kind of big crowd clearance type move. And it comes in three different forms, whether you're holding back, forward, or just pressing um, the, the button specific. And in the older games, you would consume a bit of life to hit one of those attacks. And it's the same thing here, but it doesn't take the life fully. It kind of like, you you can see on the, on the bar, um, the, that part of the life bar um, change, changes to a different shade of color and you can actually restore that life back if you get in the hits for it. So if you do the special move but then get hit, you lose that um, part of your life bar permanently. Um, so it's a nice kind of risk reward and it incentivizes to actually use those special attacks a lot more. So, yep, that's all good. Um, the the big thing, and, you know, I spoke about this way back on, like, episode five of um, this podcast when I was talking about Streets of Rage. The thing that is that you championed that game for is its soundtrack. Um, I, I, in fact, I was talking about that uh, game on our favorite soundtracks a couple of weeks ago. And that was kind of, I think, you know, anyone that's coming to play this game from playing the older games, this is the big thing that they're going to be looking at. And... It doesn't hit the highs that you would see or hear in specifically Streets of Rage 2. It is, for the most part, consistent. Um, I do need to play through the game a couple more times and hear the songs more. Um, the one track in particular, which is the final track for the the, the last kind of big boss in the game, uh, that was really good. That reminded me of um, a particular French electronic artist, artist that I like. And it made me wish that more of the game was in particular like that like I, I really wish that they'd gone for the the uh, retro synth uh, sound that has been really big over the last 10 years or so um, but it doesn't do that it's 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 kind of like a modernization of the uh, soundtracks from the older games but I just I don't think the compositions ever kind of hit the highs that those older games do but overall I'm really enjoying it I'm glad that they didn't add any like RPG um system to it no there's no like uh skill tree there's none of that nonsense uh you know there are characters that you can unlock as you play through the game and you can like the only thing there is is like a, an experience points bar um but that just unlocks characters that's it uh so i'm happy with that it's like it it definitely keeps it authentic and yeah it's it's a real it, it does feel like a a love letter it's definitely something that if you're an older fan i think you'll enjoy and um, if you're coming to it for the first time, it's a very, you know, you can pick up and play it. It's, it's not that in-depth. So looking forward to playing that more. It has a, an online battle mode, so I'll be curious to see how that um, starts to evolve and expand in a competitive manner. And yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, it's for what I would look for, other than just having, I wishing there was a, a block feature, um, and, and maybe kind of having a few more advancements in the amount of combos you could do and chain together. It's cool. It's, it's really cool. It's a good game. What about you, Jack? It seems like you're, uh, you're stuck waist deep in the war zone. I just can't stop playing Warzone, guys. It's, it's becoming a real problem. I, uh... I prefer WWF Attitude, to be honest. Mm, I think No Mercy. No, I just can't, like... 
I've been playing so much Warzone that I'm actually worried about how much Warzone I've been playing. Uh, it's it's a it's really not like me at all to be this deep into a uh like an online shooter and then specifically a battle royale game. Most of the ones I've tried out, I just had no real connection to. But I just I'm just really enjoying this game. Like it, it's so much fun to play. It's really easy. It's you know like. I'm at home, so like I could play it on my lunch break at work. You could spend, you know, fifteen or twenty minutes playing a game. You could spend five or six hours playing it, and it it just it's 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 the perfect distillation of what a battle royale should be. It's the best battle royale game I've ever played, and I yeah I I think my in-game playtime is approaching four four days now. How scary is that? And I think it came out maybe two months ago now. So over the last two months, two, two, no, four whole days of my life has been playing Warzone. Well, a is specific, that slightly worrying? Well, no, because like a, a one specific round of that game can take anywhere from half an hour to an hour, depending on it, as long as you mm. don't die straight away. Because like the the round that we yeah. played together, I'm pretty sure we was doing that for at least forty five minutes. It was quite a while, yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark got a Warzone win, and you've only ever played, what, three or four games of Warzone? Yeah, I mean, that was mostly down to you and the fact that our opponents, like, the the last team that we had left to take down, I, I don't know if they died by the gas or what, but we didn't kill them. But the victory yeah, is but a victory, just to give I'll you, take it. Just to give you an idea, like, I've played, like, 250-odd games, and uh, I've won 16 games <laughs> of Warzone. Like... That is how hard it is to win a game of Warzone, and you played like three games and won a game. So, I mean, if anything, you should just kind of retire there. Really. I mean, I haven't played it since, in fairness. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm addicted to it. I, I don't really want to say much more than that. Like, but it, it's getting, it's got in the way of me finishing Doom. It's got in the way of me finishing even Final Fantasy now, because I'm kind of going a lot slower than, than I really expected i was gonna go on that just because it it's become what dave describes with fifa yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say it's the snackable content of just go on don't think you don't even necessarily need the sound on but it helps and you just go on and you just lose yourself in something you don't really have to think about and jack Jack, as someone who who annually plays according to sony about 600 hours of fifa um just just let it happen just let it happen. And you know what? You get you get more value for money out of your other games because a game that you should have beaten in one week takes you a month. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm getting very good value for money out of this game because I've still yeah. yet to spend a single penny on it, um, which is crazy. I don't think I've ever put this much time into maybe Angry Birds when that first came out for iPhone and there wasn't many other games. But yeah, uh, for, for a game that cost me bugger all, I've put in an awful lot of time. Snake and, yeah. is the obvious of the obvious snake yeah (laughs) exactly but then i i guess i bought the phone so well you bought the playstation you're playing uh yeah but snake was dlc yeah (laughs) (laughs) the difference with snake is you had to specifically buy that like nokia phone to get it so like that was a benefit whereas warzone you can play on any platform that that has warzone snake and uh and that were like a part of the Nokia season pass. Yeah, console exclusive. I will say, the Nokia. whenever you get pinball as well, whenever you get background to Doom Eternal, that is going to be a tough transition to make back. Yeah. 
I can imagine. And it depends, because where, whereabouts did you get on up to um, in Doom Eternal, Jack? Because I got up to, like, chapter 10, and I've just not, like, gone around to bracing myself to go on, because the, the, the difficulty does fucking ramp up somewhat fierce by that point. Scarily so, yeah. Um, I was finding it very hard anyway. I think maybe chapter 3 or 4 is where I got up to. Not much further <laughs> than that. I, I, I was finding the game very hard, uh, I've got to say. I think I was playing it on like the normal difficulty. Um, so when I go back to it, if it does just beat the shit out of me, it's kind of like that. No, no, Jack, no, Jack, thing. it will beat the shit out of you. I know it will. Right. So it's kind of like that Wolfenstein thing where I'm like, do I just want to finish the game? And if I want to finish the game, then I have to like take the pride out of it. Like that notion of like, oh, I'll be able to do this. Like I probably won't. I'm not a battle-hardened veteran like David Ryan when it comes to game games. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly what I'm saying. It'd be like Dave trying to beat some of my um, my scores and combos on SSX3. It'd be like, no, there's or, no or, point. Don't, or, don't or Jack, try. Try, Jack trying to get a run of wins against me on FIFA or something. Do you know what? Yeah, Just, exactly. It's way off tangent I've beaten you every time I've played you FIFA. It, I it, might it, not have outbeaten you, but I have beaten you in every single <laughs> FIFA session we have. Without giving a Kingsley. This this is a fucking wild tangent, but because he mentioned SSX, I remember right when the uh, SSX game for uh, PS3 or the, that generation came out, there was a demo for just one uh, track, <laughs> and I spent I want to spend about five six days doing nothing but playing that fucking track over and over and over again to get I I don't know if it was like a sub thirty second uh, lap, and whatever it was no it was just it was just me and you just shaving like half a second off this time over and over yeah. again it was before the full game came out because then the wing piece was there and that completely yeah yeah, yeah and i was like i was feeling really good about it and then the game come out and i was like you know what? i feel like i've got a good chance of getting some, making some really good times here um because this was like during the i don't want to say the early days but just certainly during the time where i gave a shit about uh, my leaderboard and the people I was playing against because that yeah. started with trials and it was this and trials there. yeah they yeah. were the two that we got really competitive on and I remember getting some pretty good times on some of the levels on uh, on SSX and then I saw some of your times and like you'd knocked off like 20 fucking seconds or whatever I was like what the fuck's he done and I saw your ghost one of the videos and like as I'm going down the track I'm looking up and you and your fucking wing piece have just flown <laughs> over half the level like completely just breaking the fucking level yeah it's just the, like all right i guess i'm gonna have to fly into ssx the... oh, it really completely. broke it yeah. it broke it and and it it's sad because i loved that game uh i thought the way that it was set up was cool the planet and everything and it just it was completely it was completely broken by the wingsuit you were not allowed uh you were not finding a way to to compete in any of the online race times at one stage i think i had like the 20th best race time in the world on one of the tracks obviously using the wingsuit but like i it, i just started watching what people were doing like aiming at like the tiniest pixel and taking off and being able to fly skip the whole level and i was like oh, okay this is broken and, yeah because and... i remember there was one specific level where you basically you're on top of like part of the mountain which is clearly out of bounds because there was no textures or anything that was like geometry created there and but if you got up there and then just kind of hopped along for a bit to jump off the other side, you took out like half the fucking level. It was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that kind of, yeah, that kind of ruined the game for me and it made me put it down ultimately in the end, which for me to put down an SSX game is sad. 
Dave, I'm really sorry. Me and me and Mark have hijacked the show talking about SSX. Going on tangents, that's not at all evocative of what we've been doing so far. What have you been playing this week before we go crazy? <laughs> I start. I re-downloaded, started, and completed Arkham wow. Asylum. Fair play. And well, got all the... And got all the Riddler trophies. That's what, that's okay, like a that's 10 hardcore. to 12 hour campaign. Yeah, but the Riddler trophies are fiddly as fuck. Ah, oh, fuck them. Well, I mean, they're not as bad in um, Arkham Asylum as they would get in like, the fucking Arkham Knight. I couldn't be fucked with all of those. I have all of them in that. Yeah, well, you're a psychopath. As well. <laughs> City is the only one I don't have all the That's because uh, it's a bad game. In. I I am about, I, if I were to try, I'm about maybe eight hours short of a platinum on Arkham Knight. Um, because all I have to do is get, I have to beat the game on whatever the ultimate difficulty is. Yeah. Um, so I just have to play through the campaign again. I've got every other trophy on the game apart, uh, well, every other difficult trophy on the game apart from that. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I, I don't have a whole lot to say cause it's a game that's years and years old at this point, And I think everybody and their mother knows about Arkham Asylum. Well, that game is still fucking rad. Um, I, I think it, it's interesting that uh, I definitely think even if uh, most people at this point would agree, although like I like Arkham City definitely more than Mark does and I like Arkham Knight reasonably well enough. Um, and even though I think most people would generally agree that the, the franchise kind of took a downturn, generally speaking, I know uh, Mark Brown has a great uh, video about the Arkham series and economies of scale and about having the bigger sandboxes doesn't always equate to a better experience and it's better to do uh, a set number of things on a small map really well rather than try to offer people too much content not done Do you know what well. I call that? I call um, that the Yakuza effect. Like, how good is Yakuza? <laughs> Tiny little map. Yes, it's a sandbox. Yeah. So much you get out of it. Yeah. So many games that will have maps 20 oh, times yeah. the size and not even be the same level of cool. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But um, the one thing I will say, going back from having played Arkham Knight, obviously, more recently, and then going all the way back to the first one, is that they definitely polished the combat system as the series went on i think that's something we don't necessarily give a credit for because maybe the games as a whole went a bit downhill but it's definitely so it was a revolutionary combat system at the time like it just feels so good still but i think some of the developments and additions and different moves that they added in later games you definitely feel they're missing. You didn't know they were missing because you'd never had them before in the first game. But now that having played the, the, the two sequels and gone back to it, you're like, oh yeah, they did kind of get better at figuring out this whole combat thing. Like it doesn't flow quite as well or as smoothly as it does in, in, in City and Night. Like if I Is have, that also um, because coming post Spider-Man as well? Because Spider-Man was like a real refinement definitely. of that. Definitely. But I, I even remember like, um, and I suppose it's something to be said for kind of like maybe I, I, just, I was just finding the games easier towards the end as well. But like um, there are a couple of trophies that I was trying to pick up. So there's you remember as you go to face the Joker at the end, there's like a corridor full of uh, dudes who are just cheering you on and yeah. they don't attack you. Yeah. But there is a trophy for knocking out every single one of them. And you're basically, you're stuck in this corridor. And I think maybe it's about 15 or 20 of them, maybe. 
And in when the combat system gets smoother in Arkham City and Arkham Knight, I feel like it would have only taken me a couple of goes to get through those guys and not take a hit. Um, now, you don't have to not take a hit to get this trophy, but I was trying to do two birds at one stone. I was trying to get the trophy for knocking them all out and for getting an unbroken 40-hit combo. Um and that's kind of when you start trying to chain together the longer combos or you start dealing with bigger crowds of enemies that's where the little kind of it's not 100% of the way there yet about the combat system you, you start to figure out but like on the whole that game is still fantastic um it the the polished up version on PS4 looks pretty good it kind of in the way that um the Last of Us uh remaster and the Uncharted remasters there's a level of a kind of PS3 era sheen on it where you know that the game wasn't in the last couple of years that it isn't native to this generation, but it still looks about as good uh, as, as anything you're going to get from the last generation. And it's still a hell of a lot of fun to play. As Mark said, the main campaign, if you don't do all the side stuff like I was doing, is only about eight to ten hours long. I remember I beat it in like a weekend when I got it the first time. Um, and it's well worth re uh, looking at. I know in that spring sale they had brought down the, the whole Arkham trilogy. It was only like 40 or 50 quid or something. And the, the Return to Arkham, which is just the first two games together, were reduced as well. Um, so it might be worth a look, you know, when people are looking for kind of old games to get back onto. Because kind of, I have Streets of Rage 4 and I have Final Fantasy 7 Remake and I have uh, Resident Evil Nemesis, uh, the, the, the remake, sitting, looking at me. Um, but sometimes, you know, guys, you're just in a mood to play either the familiar or to play a kind of like a, one of the old faves start to finish. Kind of like the way I went back and watched the thing rather than watch like a new TV show or film. Um, sometimes you just want to go and play the hits. And this was like a really refreshing start to finish experience. And I, I also am getting the, the annual or biannual graw to uh, either start Super Mario 64 or Bioshock Infinite again. But I think on Mario, I'm going to wait for the Switch. I mean, just to go back there, what you're saying about the, the look of... Arkham Asylum. Um, there's something to be said for that Unreal Engine, and whether it be um, uh, an Arkham Asylum or you know the first couple of Gears of War games, uh, or, or Mortal Kombat, like that Unreal Engine, a lot of those games have a very kind of distinct look to them, where you know that it's 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 an Unreal game. But that engine, uh, and for that uh, 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 generation, like those games still do hold up pretty fucking well like i could go play back and play the original gears of war and yeah there's some textures here and, and there but like in terms of the the character models and i think it's the character models actually which is the main thing like they look as good um for the most part as compared to anything you'd have in 2020 yeah yeah for sure and um the games move very well um in terms of frame weight and just in terms of fluidity when you're moving around in the world um i noticed a couple of like when you're moving between larger areas uh, i noticed uh, the odd like couple of seconds hitch um but that's about it um, do you know what i always liked i don't know if people mention it but i love the cape physics batman's cape has a really yeah. satisfying swish to it like when you're leaping down from mm. from a building or something like that 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 is what always looked really good to me when I was I, I never fully played through one of those games myself, so I always kind of like watch bits and pieces. Here the really there. the really cool thing the really cool thing about the cape and Batman actually as a whole um, that I remember specifically about Arkham Asylum as 
because it takes over the course, it plays over the course of one night, you can see that Batman, as he goes through the night, he gets more battered and the cape gets more, like, tattered and weathered. And you really get the feel of this guy has just had a really fucking long night. Like, it's a really nice little yeah. touch that they put in that you see throughout the duration of the game. Cool. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, yeah. really good game. I haven't played it in... I, I mean, I never played it um, during this generation... Um, and I'm pretty sure that our, our uh, Arkham Asylum episode is uh, our most listened to episode, which I'm pretty sure is just because we have a picture of Zlatan Ibrahimovic um, on the front of it. Zlatan pops, it on pops that. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Dare to Zlatan, my friends. Dare to Zlatan. <laughs> uh, we're going to move on and do some quick fire news updates. Uh, I think for the sake of brevity, we'll just kind of keep to uh, just a couple of short takes on this one. Uh, the first one and most obvious one, uh, it was big internet to do the other day. Um, the new Assassin's Creed for holiday 2020 was announced. It's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. You play a Viking and it very much looks to... Much in the same way, I think last generation was characterized by people starting to cash in on uh, the coolness of zombies and pirates. I think Vikings are a big thing now. What with the show Vikings and all that and uh, the Thors of the world. So Assassin's Creed has gone this way. I will say this. It looks like one of the ones that might be getting a purchase from me. Not necessarily day one because I've been bitten before by Ubisoft. Um, but it's one of the settings where I'm like, oh, OK, uh, this has piqued my interest. Uh Jack, have you seen much on Assassin's Creed Valhalla, or are you an Assassin's Creed guy whatsoever? Yeah, I, I've watched the trailer and stuff. I think it, like, first of all, I have to say, like, it looks fucking incredible. Like, I, I, Ubisoft games always look good, but this, to me, it's like, you know, they have the bone ships coming in, and the landing and the the battlefields and stuff look amazing and there's like lots of like vikings like moody long shots of vikings cruising towards coastlines going into that i just i think it's so they've nailed it they've nailed the look and feel of the trailer anyway um i think it what was interesting for me hearing about it is because you it's coming from the perspective of you playing a viking they might actually cast uh, the 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 British who are getting raided by the Vikings kind of as the bad guys in the game, which I think is an interesting take. Um, but they, they were a bit non-committal about it, kind of in the way uh, when Far Cry 5 came out, they were like, uh, no, this isn't uh, the deep south of America and specifically yeah. people that no, like no, guns. <laughs> No, noted cowards Ubisoft. Yeah, kind of like they're going to offend us British people by making a game where Vikings come over and they're the heroes. Like, I don't give a fuck. If I'm playing a video game, give me an axe and a helmet and I'll slay my kinsmen. I don't give a shit. Um, but yeah, it, it, it looks really, really cool. And the good thing about Assassin's Creed that, that I've always liked the way that they've done it is it's very... Like, they, they can go to any era of history, right? You've got thousands of thousands of years of recorded history that you can just take a, a a snapshot of and go right we're doing this you know we're doing this now kind of like community where they're like right this is our this is our mob episode or this is our x episode um to reference something we watched in the last episode like that's what they do with assassin's creed I, those little snapshots those little vertical slices of histories and periods they get so well it is still going to be an Ubisoft game, so it's going to be a bunch of fetch quests. There's going to be DLC, which is annoying and all sorts. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I, I might buy it as well, Dave. I'm with you on this one. Uh, well, Mark, what about you? I was going to say, because, I mean, I didn't play either um, 
Was it Origins uh, or Odyssey? Those are two of the best ones. Yeah, but like from everything that I, I, I read about and a friend of the show, Peter Willington, he really stood by, um, I think it was the last one. <laughs> In fact, I was on his podcast talking about these <laughs> games. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. My appearance was, uh, we were talking about, because I was at... Origins had just come out, I think. So it was, yeah, it was like a year and a half or two years ago. And uh, he wanted to get the, the history teacher's point of view on yeah. it. But I know he definitely championed that game. And so I haven't played, I haven't really properly played one since Black Flag. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be too invested in getting it if it goes heavy into like the RPG elements. Because uh, I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I still need to get around to fucking Final Fantasy VII at some point. But yeah, I mean the the trailer is is definitely you know cinematic and and everything and uh, it might be worth picking up. Mm. Uh, next up, uh, this is Lazel territory if I ever heard it. Infinity Ward repeatedly dicking around with Warzone first trios and now bounties. What's this all about, guys? Because again, Warzone is so far away from anything <laughs> I'm playing at the moment. So yeah, I did put this in there because it's just a really interesting way of approaching your game. So. Like, the main... When they launch Warzone, like, the main... You can do your Battle Royale solo, but it was Battle Royale trios, so a group of three go into the game. So then they brought out Battle Royale quads, so you could do four people. And they keep changing the playlists of the game, so they took the trios out, so you could only either do one player or four players, uh, to the absolute rage of the entire community. And then Infinity Ward, like, the next day, just put battle royale trios back so you can play as a three again and i thought okay that's interesting maybe they've learned their lesson there what they did yesterday was they inserted a new contract into the game so contracts in the game you can collect to get xp and money and stuff so you can get weapons and all sorts of fancy stuff right so there's a contract say if you're on a team of four all of the other three guys on the team are dead you can't get them back in the game there's a contract you can do where for five minutes everybody on the map can see your exact location if you can survive you can bring everybody back right which is genius absolute chaos i managed to survive one yesterday and be absolutely murdered to fuck in another one um but they put it in and they took out another kind of contract which is a bounty contract where you can see just one other team or one other player from one other team um, and you can go and hunt them down to get money or experience. And they took that out and replaced it with this one. And everyone lost their shit again. They were like, right, well, you've taken this out of the game again. And, and there was absolute fury. And Infinity Ward, who, who managed Warzone again, were just like, oh shit, we've upset our entire community again. So we're just going to put this mode straight back in. And I just find this really odd. It's like, you've committed to making a decision to changing up the nature of your game. Um, and then you change it. And then you have to change it back a day later because everybody hates it. Is this really the way you should be managing it? Do you not think that maybe the idea would be to garner feedback from your community before you massively change something that is, you know, prevalent in the game? And then when you do change it, do you change it and just say tough titties or do you change it and do what they do, which is keep changing it back? I just think as a, like, as Mark, as a guy who works in, in video game communities, do you think this is just a very odd way to handle your customer service? Um, so, I, you know, I can't exactly say too much, but I will say the thing to keep in mind is that though you have a, um, a team that works on the community side of things, 
and you have a team that works on you know the development Death, yeah. side of things it is not always possible to get those two teams aligned up and sometimes what the left hand is thinking the right hand doesn't know and you know sometimes the communication between the two some things can get lost in translation um you might have one of the teams is working out of one country and other teams working out of another country and there's like time zone issues you know it is not as easy to kind of bring everything together and have everyone working from like the same roadmap so for whatever reason then there might have been a reason why you know a project manager or someone decided look we need to take this down or we need to add this back up and it will be done before the chance before you know the the community have the community team have a chance to like address this or yeah you know, there, there can be a number of factors involved um it, it seems like that it should just be easy that hey go and tell the uh community we're doing this and it's like well first of all the community have to you know get the the notes all together then they need to be translated into about 85 different languages uh and there's all these kind of bells and whistles and steps that have to be gone through to get to that point uh and then by that time you know the fucking some dev somewhere has decided actually we're gonna not do this and all that time and effort has, has been wasted so yeah it's obviously it's a bit of a shambles um but like I don't know, I, I guess just because I work in that field, uh, there's usually you know a bunch of reasons why something like this happens, and it usually isn't incompetence or anything like that. It's usually just one person needed to talk to this other person to the side, or you know this community person left all this feedback, but the team, the dev team are too busy working on X, Y, and Z and haven't had a chance to actually read all the, the, the feedback yet. So, I don't know, yeah, it's it's a bit of a shambles. Uh, it's not, obviously, it's not the worst thing in the world. And as we've seen by this U-turn, it's not exactly like they can't just switch on or switch off uh, any kind of specific mode that they want to. So, uh, it's, it, I would imagine that they'll learn a bunch of things from this uh, to avoid incidents of this nature happening again in the future. Yeah, I just, I think it's odd that if you're going to change something, you immediately backtrack on it. Like, is that better? Is that a better way to handle it than just piss people off and, and then them get used to it? Because they must get, like you say, there's an overwhelming amount of feedback that will go into that um, community team about it. And it's like they just, both times now, they've changed something and just bow, like bowed to extreme pressure. Is, well, is look, that I better mean, to... You saw... You saw in the article that there was a tweet from Ninja about it, and I don't know, you know, how much uh, or how much, how many people that Ninja is bringing in by saying, "Hey, I'm playing your game." But obviously, he is. <laughs> uh, in terms of the the battle royale genre, he is someone massively influential to have in terms of bringing awareness towards your game. Yeah. So I hear it's him and Lithium Project, the top two streamers on Twitch these days. Yeah. <laughs> And unfortunately, uh, gamers are a fickle bunch. And if someone that they are very much into, like a, a ninja, and he says that, hey, this is a bad thing, they will fucking just pour all the petrol onto that fire, uh, whether they actually really agree with it or understand it or not. So I, I don't know. I can see that... Because keep in mind, you've got the, the community team and then you've got the developers, but then you've also probably got some um, 
bigwig in a suit who's just looking at the bottom line and will see like one random tweet somewhere or probably saw the tweet from ninja and was like what the fuck why did we do this and then has gone to the devs who may have had a legitimate reason for the actions taken and told them they have to reverse it and you know that decision may have come from someone above them you know there's so many factors involved that um i don't think you can ever 100 percent pin down why it happens mm. and i don't think you can pin down whether it one way is better than the other in terms of approaching it because sometimes hands are tied and you know you may be someone who's been working in this game non-stop for the last three months and think that you know this is the right way to go but there's a project manager or someone above you <clears throat> who uh, thinks otherwise and you can't do anything about it oh, okay yeah i mean i just wondered what your your take would be on a, as a community guy but like i'm if someone changes something i like I'm happy to go along with it at first just to see like if it's cooler or not but yeah I I think a snap bang yeah, you're change. a reasonable human being Jack. Uh yeah I guess so I don't know um but but still um interesting starts from Infinity Ward I feel like what they've changed and taken out and put back in again they could easily just have them concurrently they could have the two contracts in the game concurrently they could have they could have battle royale singles doubles trios and quads easily concurrently in the game yet they're oh we've only got one three and four like it, it's it's odd it's it's odd choices well and there'll be I mean, reasons for all of it but you know i just think like the the, sort of odd... the, the main thing jack yeah. is um because i can't remember because i've only played a few games but if you play like singles mode you only play against other singles if you play like trios do you play against other trios yeah Right, so keep in mind that, you know, depending on what their player base is and how many active people they've got playing at any one time, a lot. if you have too many different modes, you split the server base, basically. And, um, you know, if you've got... How many players is it in the map? Is it 50 or 100? 100, isn't it? 150. Yeah, so you you need to make sure that you've got enough people playing on a server. And if you split the servers too much, then you run into issues with... I don't know how the game handles matchmaking and, and levelling and, and balancing, but you want to... Make sure that you've got you know enough players in your particular match that are balanced against your you know skill set or however it, it defines the matchmaking yeah so you can't have it split too many ways and i don't know maybe like they have the singles on for a while to see how many people are playing how active it is how much money it makes them then they'll probably have the, the the trios mode, see how active that is, how many people are playing, how much money it's making. I, I guess there's probably a lot of user testing at the moment because the game is still in its early early days. Yeah, I oh, know. Thanks, mate. That's some um, fascinating insight there from somebody uh, ensconced within the industry. So, yeah, cheers. Great insight on it. Is that more we can really add to that? Uh, Jeff Keighley is back in the news, and uh, yeah, for want of a better E3, it seems that he is attempting to orchestrate a uh, is it a summer games showcase sort of deal. Um, it seems to be the way that something like E3 was heading, where it's more of a kind of a digital facing presentation rather than the traditional kind of let's get in a brick and mortar building and get it on. Um, but Mark, what are your kind of, we, we had kind of tired of the E3 format, uh, the last couple of years. Uh, what's your take on this? I, I know Keely is the mastermind of, of these kind of things. So if anyone can pull it off, he can. I'm just thinking, how the hell do we plan a preview show around this? Yeah. If it's going to be like a two month long event. Anyone's fucking I want to do predictions again. I had so much fun doing that last year. 
It's like we it's 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 like we'll do like like we do the World Cup pre and post show. We'll just do some predictions before, then two months later do a follow up. <laughs> I, I I think this is awesome. I definitely think that your regardless of the whole uh, COVID nineteen thing, uh, this kind of online digital approach to um, game presentations, developers talking about things they're working on. Uh, interviews panels all that kind of stuff you know i I do think that a a a more online presence uh is the way forward um for a number of factors economically environmentally etc etc Uh, you know as far as i'm aware there are so many things and options we can do around now in terms of like playable demos you know having a game um in whatever beta form available for a weekend even for like a specific set member target part of the audience you know, they have to sign up for it, whatever the case may be. Um, or, you know, if it's like Ubisoft have to be signed up to Uplay to get access to this demo for the weekend. There's so much stuff they can do around there that <laughs> I don't want to say that E3 really is at this point dead in the waters. But, I mean, if this um, is as successful as I'm guessing Jeff Keighley is hoping he, it will be because his name's on it, uh, I, I, I can't see E3 coming back next year with any kind of cachet to it whatsoever. Jeff Keighley is the sort of quote-unquote president of video games now, isn't he? Kind of. I st- I don't know where the fuck he came from. A self-appointed. You know? Yeah, but he's self-appointed, well, and everyone was just like, well, I guess it, someone's got to do it. You just have to make an award show, and then everyone will come towards you, you know? Yeah. His award show, though, always feels more like a commercial than it does like an actual award show, more than any other award show. It's a sort of like, hey, check these things out that you're totally going to like. <laughs> but I, I do think it's cool. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see this because, um, you know, the the summer period was going to look really barren because Gamescom was cancelled, E3 was obviously cancelled, and uh, I, I would imagine that all of the big publishers and developers are, are just chomping at the bit to have some way to get their stuff out there. And obviously, you know, the likes of Microsoft and Nintendo and Sony, and even the, the other big hitters can do their own... Um, virtual digital presentations but something like this uh, i think is still is a really awesome thing for the the consumer to just kind of get themselves wrapped up in the the fever because for all the issues that you can rightly point at e3 it's still pretty awesome to have a couple of days to just watch a whole bunch of game trailers and just have a whole bunch of announcements you know it's it is a cool thing to be a part of and um I'm not sure a four-month season is the way to go. That seems a bit excessive, but I guess we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, man, a rising tide lifts all boats. It'll be good for the if it's good for the devs and it's good for the players, then it, it could be it good for everyone. So yeah, I, I I'm up for that when it gets sorted out. Yeah, I I think it's worth. I wonder is like part of it the genesis that's kind of like a everybody wants to go first, nobody wants to go in certain slots and things like that. Right, fine, instead of having it over a week, we'll have it over several months. How do you like that, you <laughs> fuckers? You can all have a Saturday night prime time spot if you want. I imagine this is what Jeff Keighley is doing in his bathroom, just talking to him, preparing his own speech. Exactly. Just roaring yeah, at exactly. the mirror. But I wonder as, <laughs> yeah. I wonder as well, because like you, you've seen over the last couple of years with E3 where take a, a Nintendo or... Um, or go with Nintendo is the, the best example, where they've kind of just put e3 to the side and it's like look we'll do a presentation around e3 but we're really just doing our own thing and like if keely had put together like a weekend event somewhere like a digital platform for this kind of thing 
you could still have a Nintendo and Microsoft not really be a part of it, but they could just say, look, we're going to do a presentation over this weekend, but it's not a part of this. And I, I don't know whether doing it over a three, four month period means that it kind of brings these publishers and developers under this umbrella in a way. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure Keeley will hopefully talk about this at some point and we can get um, more details around, like, why the fuck is... Uh, such a long thing like is he thinking that well there's no like Euros championship this summer so and there's no Olympics so fuck it here's your Olympics <laughs> yeah you just yeah the video game Olympics there you go <laughs> um, in our final bit of news uh, it's the exact opposite of Konami Corner and it seems like NHS front workers uh, frontline workers may be getting offered video games Mark was this you? But that listen. was me. It was a feel-good story with video games in it, and I was like, you know what? I think this is great. So yeah, go ahead, Dave. Tell the people. Uh, tell the people. So uh, this has come from the Evening Standard. Uh, the UK games industry has launched uh, a major initiative named Games for Carers to thank frontline NHS heroes for their inspirational work during the coronavirus crisis. The initiative will see thousands of games available to frontline staff with free, either when they get some uh, well-earned downtime or to provide relief for their families. Uh, of the 85,000 games available, there are AAA titles such as FIFA 20, Dreams, Doom Eternal. Uh, over the past three weeks, the games industry has uh, united to include the government's Stay Home, Save Lives messaging within highly popular video games. It's actually on the um, the home screen on FIFA 20, uh, oh, I noticed wow. this week. Uh, NHS staff will be able to claim their free game or subscription quickly and securely by visiting the dedicated Games for Carers site from 9am today, Wednesday, April 29th at giveawaykeys.keymailer.co forward slash NHS and entering in their NHS email details. Um, yeah, Jack, this is like one of those rare occasions where it's like, fair play, uh, some good shit being done by the video game yeah. industry. Yeah, but I tell you what, I tell you what, right, I bet there is going to be at some point some Tory cunt like Ian Duncan Smith who's going to be like, why the fuck are we giving these games to our doctors and nurses when they should be in the hospitals being underpaid? That would be that would be implying that a lot of Tories understand what a video game is. <laughs> fair, that is true. Yeah, um, so it's the idea of a... A video game journalist, uh, Scottish video game journalist called Chris Scullion. Um, I just wanted to give him a shout out. And I just think it's a really cool thing. It's like, you know, any... To, to me, and I, and I think to you fellas as well, uh, video games I've always kind of relied on in my life as a bit of a distraction. Things, you know, are tough, you know, pressures are mounting up, things like that. Getting lost in a video game, it just gives you something to focus on i think some people might not say it's specifically as healthy like towards the direction that mark was going down but having something to focus your energy and attention on and take over kind of part of your consciousness and kind of strip it back from the pressures of the outside world is is really important whether it's a video game or film or music or anything that isn't causing you personal harm um is is a positive thing and yeah the idea that somebody is as as collated and organized this for for nhs workers like if even if this makes one nhs worker's life a little bit better i think it's a great idea but i actually think it will benefit obviously a lot more than that they're saying eighty thousand, you know workers will have access to this thing it's it's really really cool and yeah it's video games are good sometimes guys like i know people sit around and complain about the industry because it is a haggard old beast and does some horrible horrible stuff 
but this is one of the things that just put a smile on my face and a good way of showing a community coming together. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, that's the news out of the way, which must mean it's time, gentlemen. After two episodes, we've, we've missed out on doing this. It's time for the quiz and uh, I'm nervous. Uh, it's my first time doing this and I'm going to have to remind myself because I've actually looked at this document in which I wrote all the clues. <laughs> you um, can play with us then. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I seem to have written it out in a way where I might remember things uh, as it goes on. Uh, so in this quiz, which we still have not come up with a proper name for, uh, the quiz master, in this case me, will deliver a series of four clues in uh, in a decreasing level of uh, of mystery. Um, and my two contestants, Jack and Mark, will have to guess. Uh, the, the points will be awarded. Uh, question one is for four points. Question two, three points and so on. Uh, you get four four clues uh and then uh if you can't get it there there'll be a half point given for the platform if i'm correct mark yes yeah um so i've got 10 questions here ready to go and uh i'm going to have to just open this to edit it oh so you say the pressure's on you the pressure's on me because you two have at least got a point each I need a victory. You need here. to take me down, Mark. This me and you true. have been competing against stuff since the calendar year of 2003, so let's go. Exactly. And thankfully, okay. I've already got Seaman, title of my sex tape, so <laughs> Dave can't take that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right, gentlemen. And this is something that I kind of talked to you both offline about, and I understood now because you've both said it to me in constructing the quiz yourself. But it's really tough to figure out what is a very obvious clue and what is a not very obvious clue. And I have no idea going into this whether I have made this too hard, too easy, or it kind of will alternate between questions of too hard and too easy. Are you telling but, uh, me Are you telling me that uh, some describe this as a forklift simulator it was should have been my most difficult clue? Yeah. You play a certain <laughs> well, type look, of let's... goat creature in this game. <laughs> We, we we have had, I think, one moonshot per quiz Yeah, so and they've far. both been by you, so um, I'm very glad you're not playing this one. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, let's do it. <clears throat> Question one. Wait, who's and, going first? Uh, we'll be starting off, yeah, we'll be starting off by going to Jack. Okay. So game number one, uh, question number one. Jack, <clears throat> this game features a WWE Hall of Famer and... A member of the Order of the Phoenix. <sighs> Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I do you know what I that that has just put me on a point of a train of thought where I'm like I can't even I, I can't even focus in on anything with that clue that is bewitching dave um uh, yeah. i'm gonna take a stab <laughs> and say arkham knight <laughs> it's okay. not it's not uh, i'm Mark. trying to think at what point in in this lifetime where the paths of the iron sheik and gary oldman have crossed <laughs> <laughs> i would watch the fuck out of that movie <laughs> and i don't know where it is but i'm hoping it's uh, happened i think it's somewhere. in that movie tinker taylor soldier humble <laughs> Um, by, by John oh, God, that got me. <laughs> I got I got so lost with that thought that I didn't even think of a game to come up with as an answer. Um, f- 
Fuck me. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, not even clever. Jesus Christ. I, I will say, gentlemen, my cryptic clues, my question ones for a lot of these games are incredible. I mean, that cool. is so... It's, awesome. it's, you can't even grip anything with it, can you? Like, you can't. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Assassin's Creed 2. No. I just no. had a thought. Of course not. Go on, Dave. No, no go on. No, oh, no, no, because yeah, no, oh, yeah, it's my, it's my yeah. next question. I want to hear the next clue, because it okay. might completely dis- derail my thought. Okay, this clarifies things a little bit more, I think. All right. <clears throat> This game's map is based on a real city. Is it Gears of War 5 with Batista in it? <laughs> no. Ah, <laughs> oh, but do you know what I mean? Like that. Also, he's not a Hall of Famer yet. Yeah, he was going to go in this year, but they cancelled the Hall of Fame. Did they not do the Hall of Fame? <laughs> no, I didn't they watch. It. I really didn't watch Mania. Uh, so I, I, yeah. they cancelled the Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. Dude, watch the Boneyard match. Get on it. Oh. <laughs> I've seen it in I really, I, In fairness, you should. Uh, all right, okay. Mark. Uh, map based on a real city. Um, I'm not going to go with what I think is a diversion and say the getaway. So I am going to... Well, no. Could it be? No. I, I'm i playing myself here. I don't want to... <laughs> Congratulations. I don't want to work myself you into a shoot. Yourself. What real map? What real map could you be based on? I got nothing coming to me. Um, Going to have to press you. Yeah, okay. Uh, It's not based on a real map, but I guess it's on a real location. Uh, Sleeping Dogs? No. Okay. Next. In spite of being the 27th best-selling game of the generation in North America, PlayStation Official Magazine's review said of this sandbox game, this is a bad game. The fact that it was so ambitious just amplifies that fact. It's like a big-budget Hollywood flick gone horribly wrong. (laughs) Fuck me. They didn't pull any punches there um oh christ uh, is it watchdogs no you are both getting closer i will say okay uh, this is hard dave i'm not I, yeah. i'm i really am struggling now i wanted to set my stall out here with this i one. mean you've fucking the stall is out and it's battering me in the face uh, so getting closer, not sleeping dogs, not watch dogs. Um, other sandboxes with the word dogs in the title. <laughs> Is it Nintendogs? <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. One of these days, Jack, one of these days. <laughs> one of uh, these days. Fuck me. That's what? your getaway Black Monday, isn't it? What sandbox from that generation, real location? Do you know why Dave's fucked now, me up? Sh- I'm thinking should... about who played order, who who played the actors in Order of the Phoenix. I'm I, like, I, yeah, frantically going through it. I should specify, Mark, that we haven't said what generation it is yet. Well, I mean, you said PlayStation, so it's one within the last couple of generations, and I don't think it's well, going to be the first generation. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's got to be from like 2000 onwards. But 
I got uh, GTA 4. Oh. Okay. Last last clue for one point. This GTA clone <laughs> saw you saw you play Nicholas Kang, a no nonsense cop solving crimes in the City of Angels. Uh, oh, that is Sorry, on the streets on the streets of the City of Angels. That is oh fuck 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 fuck. Is it, it it's it's called like streets it's called streets of la like cry is it streets of la is it something like that i'm i'm gonna give you it yeah Yeah. i'm gonna give you that yeah for one point it's true crime the streets of la yeah 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 yeah. never got that yeah yeah i remember renting that game and being so hyped up for like it's like gta but it's based in a real city and it was it wasn't good yeah and that game stars it stars in cameo roles Snoop Dogg and Gary Oldman. Fucking Gary so Oldman! When you said, when you said Gary Oldman, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he nearly got it." I don't know what the fuck Gary Oldman is doing in that, but I would have not and got then, that. Like, you, the two of you guessed like every GTA game that wasn't GTA, oh. except for this and Saints Row. Christ, yeah. I mean, that was that was a tough. I mean, Dave, wow, yeah, that was yeah, hard, that was mate. Tough. That was tough, yeah. I, w- I wanted to say true crime. I kept saying, t- t- but it didn't feel right. But I knew Streets of LA was in the title somewhere. I just, yeah, I couldn't figure out what way it was. It's one of those games that has colons in the title and you're like, oh, fuck off with this. Okay, question two and we're starting with Mark. All right. Now, bear in mind again, cryptic as hell. Start. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> this game began development as a real-time strategy but ended as a completely different kind of game. As a real-time strategy, different kind of game. Uh, Halo. This is one of those, the, no, this is one of those kind of popular trivia facts that if you know it, you would absolutely remember it. Sure. But yeah. it seems cryptic as hell if you don't. Jack. Mm. I feel like I've heard that trivia clue somewhere before, but I don't know mm-hmm. for what specifically for. Is it ro- I think is we it- probably heard it from the same thing. Is it Rocket League? It's not. Okay, because I know they were fucking around with the Unreal Engine and stuff with that, weren't they? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Question two. This game requires you to master three different vehicles throughout the campaign. <sighs> three different vehicles. Uh, is it... Is it... Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. It is not. Damn it. Jack. Oh, I mean, this has actually gone further away from. Is it the game where you can, like. Oh, uh, is it. the? There's a driver game where you can, like, warp from, like, helicopters and stuff into cars and stuff? Is that driver? It is, it is not whatever game you're thinking of okay that sounds rad yeah i swear you can um is it driver where you can like warp into different cars or it was one of those games i don't think you warp into them you you can walk into different cars no no Um, oh no it was there's definitely a game where you can um we can figure that out another time but there's a game where you can switch from thing to thing to thing of, of different characters controlling but yeah I predict this may be the round on which one of you gets it. Okay. Question number three. You can unlock a chicken and a clock 
as playable characters. A chicken and a clock as playable characters. I feel like the answer is slapping me in the face. Oh, it is. Wait, what was the first clue again? So the first clue, it began life as a real-time strategy, but it ended as a completely different kind of game, so not a real-time strategy. The game requires you to master three different vehicles, and you unlock a chicken on a clock as playable character. Is it Diddy Kong Racing? It absolutely is. Okay, good. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and the final clue was, if you didn't get it, this one. This game sees a tiger, a monkey, a turtle, a bear, a mouse, a badger, and a Kremlin <laughs> team together to defeat an intergalactic wizard pig. Is it the Getaway Black Monday? <laughs> it is. It is the Getaway Black Monday. <laughs> I'm surprised Mark hasn't guessed that at some point today. Or was it you? No, it was you who kept guessing that, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, God, Question if it's in four. here now, I'll get, I might just guess that for my first go at every round. Question, uh, question number three, sorry. This game was a pack-in with every system sold. Jack, you're up. Yeah. I mean, I already did Wii Sports. Uh, what other systems that I've been packing? Is it Minesweeper? Nope. Okay. But you can see why I guessed that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the problem is, I don't know if this was on every system sold but it was the first game that i had and it was built into the system so i'm going to take it as my moonshot is it alex kid in miracle world it is not fuck although that's a very play the man answer yeah you know yeah you'd be thinking that yeah but also you must think maybe i was thinking that you would think that ah shut up <laughs> <laughs> ah <laughs> this is um, all getting like very mighty boosh yeah we're playing 4d chess here gentlemen uh second question <laughs> Time magazine once published an article asking if this game was affecting productivity at work. This just makes me want to guess solitaire now. You got it. Oh, I was on the, yeah, right, nice. the exact right track from the first one. Yeah. I swear to God, uh, I was like, it's got to be like Minesweeper or solitaire. I, I had to bite my tongue. Oh. I was hope I was hoping I was throwing you off completely by it by talking about systems rather than computers. Well, that, that was what led me to it because it was like ah. I can't actually think of any other like well-known things. So I went outside the box. Yeah. Brilliant. See, in fairness, Alex Kidd was on the master system, so that's where yeah. my you know. Yeah. yeah no, indeed. Mark, that was a good. It was a good guess. When you said yeah. it, I was like, I fucked it. He's got that because <laughs> I just thought Dave would yeah. do that. Uh, the next clue was going to be the game was developed to soothe people intimidated by the operating system and the final clue designed to be played alone this game asks you to organise your deck of cards by suit and by rank <laughs> that's so, yeah. yeah and if we didn't get it then we should end the podcast forever General, I'm just going to say with the, the difficulty of my final questions for each game if we get to the point where I have to read out the platform I, I think you just need to resign uh, because <laughs> I have made those last questions some hella soft balls. There's, there's a real, like, stark contrast between your first clue and your final clue. I'm finding I know. your patterns here. Right, so I is know, it 4-2 right. to me at the moment? It is 4-2 yeah. to Jack after okay. three questions. Right. Question four. I threw this one in specifically to Pop Mark. This game was released the day before 9-11. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, I know Toxicity by System of a Down was released, uh, I think, a few days before 9-11. And uh, Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World, and they had to change it. It is neither of those things. <laughs> so, like... It's not Toxicity by System of a Down, okay. It's not. Okay, what would have been released in 2001? Was that... Re- no, that wasn't... That wasn't released in 2001, that was 2000, I'm pretty sure... I know it's not, but it's just there on the tip of my tongue, so I'm going to say it. I know it's wrong. Um, MGS2. Incorrect. Yeah. Jackery. 2001 games. GTA 3 came out in 2001? It is not GTA 3. Uh, Okay. The next question. In their October 2013 issue... Edge Magazine retroactively awarded this game 10 out of 10, one of only 23 games in the history of that magazine to achieve a perfect score. Fuck me. Um, Retroactively? Yes, so obviously it came out in 2001, but Edge went back because I I don't know if they exist. Oh no, they... Yeah, they they did exist, but they retroactively awarded the game 10 out of 10. Okay, um, Silent Hill 2. No. Although, it should be a 10 out of 10 if they didn't give it that. Oh. I, genuinely, I will say at this point, I'm very surprised Mark didn't get it at the first clue. Because I'm pretty Look, sure... I know I've a... watched a lot of stuff about 9-11, yeah. But yeah, I don't no, know what no, the no, fuck was no, released not, either not, side of it. Not because of the 9-11, but I'm pretty sure this is a fact I know because you told me you saw it on a YouTube video or something. Mm. I don't remember the is conversation. Is it Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 came out in 2001? Because I know Tony Hawk's Tony PS2... Hawk. Oh, because Tony Hawk's 2 got, like, massive scores. Uh, I, I'm, I'm struggling here. Your, your third clue, and I think this will be the one that seals the deal for 1E. This game was noted by the developer of XCOM as being influential and opening up the market for similar games on handheld video game systems. Oh, Advance Wars. Oh. Yes. Okay. I literally I thought, is it Advance Wars in my head? And Mark said Advance Wars. Bollocks. So four four. Oh my god, this is box office so far, lads. Yeah. Tell you what. Question five. Oh god, here we go. Come on. Come on. So starting off with Jack here. The setting of this game was twelve years after the events of the game that preceded it. Metal Gear Solid 2. Incorrect. Oh, uh, Gears of More four. Incorrect. Damn it. Gears of I just want to say I, I, I just want to say I'm personally rooting for us to get to the third question here because it's my favourite one in the whole quiz. Uh, 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 but I want to get it so bad on the next one just to piss you <laughs> off now. For the time and resources put into this game by Take Two, it went on to sell a disappointing three hundred and seventy-six thousand units in its first month on release. How many? It's 300,000? 376,000. (sighs) 
I mean, I that that is just it makes it even harder. That because uh, now I'm like, is it Borderlands Two? It is not. Ugh. Mark takes place twelve years. And if it was a disappointing sequel, I'm gonna play the Dave card here. Is it Bioshock Two? It's not. Oh, oh, that is a very, very good play, of the Dave. There. I'll be honest that's with fuck. you. I thought about saying Bioshock, but then I thought Dave might think that's too Dave <laughs> to drop in. I am living rent free in your heads right now, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. But I, for the life of me, couldn't remember how far the the, the time span between uh, Bioshock One and Two. Yeah, I mean, I thought. When I heard that, I was like, I know MGS2 was right. Like, oh, now, when you say take two, that makes it so much harder. Mm. You see, if I'd given the studio rather than the publisher, it would be a dead giveaway. Um, yeah. Next question. <clears throat> During the wait for this game's release, a prominent video game critic wrote a hypothetical review where he speculated that the plot revolved around a middle-aged and jaded main character hiding in Stockholm under the name Vladimir Lestrade until a letter from his estranged daughter in the resistance begs him to come to their aid. And thus begins an epic tale of redemption and self-discovery that will take us from the Swedish ghettos to beyond the furthest stars. Is it Duke Nukem Forever? It is Duke Nukem Forever. (laughs) God bless Yahtzee. Fucking Crowshaw. Absolute legend of a man. And the final clue would have been the lengthy development cycle crossing several generations just to spit out a mediocre FPS has often been called the Chinese democracy of video games. I was, before, yep, you'd that's e- the one. before you'd even said that last clue, I was like, all the last clue needed to be was Chinese democracy. Like, you democracy, didn't even need to yeah. say anything else, <laughs> even of video yeah. games, and we would have got that. Question six. This is my favourite fact I think I uncovered that I didn't know already. Mm. This game created a very public war of words between Sony and the Church of England. Um, <laughs> Sony and the Church of England. All right. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. What Sony game could cause the Church of England to get all riled up? <gasps> Oh my god, if I remember this right, I actually think I know this. Just going by the how big Sony would have been at the time and what games would have been at the forefront, I f- uh, I'll give it a shot, but I'm not confident. Wipeout? No. No. Dave. Yes. They got pissed off. Was it because something looked like one of the cathedrals and they like tried to sue Sony over it? Maybe. Is it Resistance Fall of Man? It is. Yes! Come on! I remember that shit. Yeah, so, yeah, they tried, and and it was like, yeah, because the... There was, they accused Sony of virtual desecration because the likeness of Manchester Cathedral was used in the game. That's the one. I remember it at the time. Oh, my God, because there was, like, a launch title for the PS3, and Bigsy had it. Um, And I remember you know not knowing anything about the game and searching for it and then seeing that 
article and I'm like, well, Church of England hates it. Maybe this is a cool game. It wasn't. Well, there, it wasn't that very good we, game at all. We got our customary one moonshot per quiz. Yeah. God damn. No, but um, th- that wasn't a moonshot. I actually remember that shit. Like, because uh, th- who would ever well, guess Resistance Jack, Fall of Man is an answer to Jack, anything? My two moonshots have been ones I remember. You weren't buying that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other clues, which I think you would have gotten it by clue number two, this game was a launch title. Um, then this game is set in an alternate 1950s when alien, an alien race called the Chimera invaded and this game spawned two sequels before the developer left Sony to make Sunset Overdrive um, yep so yes, which is a complete opposite by then. Yeah, which leaves us Jack 10 Mark 4 with four questions remaining oh, come on come okay. on, come on. <clears throat> the prototype for this game featured Bruce Willis as the main character Oh, that's unreal. Mm, what's a Bruce willis type game? Max Payne? Incorrect. Oh. Do you know what? For a second there, that pause from you, Dave, I was like, if I get two of these four-pointers in a row, uh, you, I wouldn't stop talking about it for months. <laughs> Marco. I'm sorry. Give me that question again. The prototype for this game featured Bruce Willis as the main character. Because I know he had a video game, but one that he was... The, the yeah, he was actually, like, the lead in the video game, wasn't he? I, I want to say... Yeah, there was the, the, the Die Hard trilogy on PS1. No, no, no. Uh, no, it was something else. It wasn't no, like there a, was a game um, where it was actually, like, they paid Bruce Willis. They're like, we're going to put you in a video game. Yeah. But now I'm just thinking about that, that Fifth Element video game, which is one of the worst things I've ever played in my life. I have absolutely no idea. So how far of a moonshot can we go for with this in terms of a, a male protagonist? Um, yeah. I don't know. Doom 3. Incorrect. He would have been oh, a good Doom been, Marine. That would have been fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I was more going for what I would have liked to have seen more than hoping it was right. Clue number two. Nintendo Mission <laughs> Missions in this game were inspired by Super Mario 64. Inspired by Mario 64. <sighs> and if you like me when I was constructing these questions, now can't stop thinking about Bruce Willis as the protagonist of the Super Mario 64, you're not alone. <laughs> Just gets a big old gun and shoots Bowser with it. Um, oh god, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's what your th- your second clues have done really well so far, Dave, is give me, like, from the first question, I feel like, alright, I've got a general wide area to guess at, and then the second question just basically pisses all over the area that I was thinking of, and mm. makes it really difficult for me to recover. Um, oh, I don't even know. Um, just to pop you both, I'm going to say Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> Uh, it is not Crash Bandicoot. Okay, but how good would that be with Bruce Willis? <laughs> so based on or inspired by Superman six, uh, Super Mario sixty four levels, definitely not Superman sixty four. Jesus. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. Um, so thinking platformy, or at least how the the mission the, the objectives are like the five stars per level 
But I can't... Man, what the hell? Where did you pull this one from, Dave? Where? Yeah, that, I mean, it, that second one made it tougher, I thought. It's one of those where I think if you reverse engineer it, everything but the um, everything but the Bruce Willis thing will. Yeah, click. I mean the the Bruce Willis thing just does not help at all. Uh, <laughs> uh just because I want to make sure I don't leave any um, clue without at least guessing, Moonshot Jack and Daxter. It is not. <laughs> no. Clue the third. This game and its sequel managed to hold second and third place on the highest selling games on its platform in the same year. So was this the first one of the series? No, you're not going to tell us that, are you? Oi. This game and its sequel managed to hold second and third place on the highest selling games on its platform in the same year. Oh, God damn. Fuck, what would have done that? Is it Half-Life? I can't remember when... And, like, 2? Half-Life 2 and then, like, Episode 1 came out? Was it later that year? I don't know. Half-Life 2? Half-Life 2? That's my guess? No. Okay. I don't even know. The thing that you've laid out, Dave, the three things, they almost feel like they don't even coincide. Yeah, I know, they're just so not connected in any way it's that you can so piece it hard. together. This one's so hard. So, the game and its sequel topped with one and three. It's funny, because this one, and you'll see why, I didn't think I made hard enough. You really did make it. I mean, it, it's... It's hard, isn't it, when you're researching to think what do the other people maybe know... And then you strike yeah. upon things that, okay, they don't know that, and then they yeah. do know it, and then yeah. you, you think, but it's it, like, yeah, because honestly, you, you like you got down uh, on a couple of these, you guys got down all the way to the last clue when I thought you'd twig it earlier, and then on one of the ones I thought I absolutely got you was the one that the moonshot came on. <laughs> yeah, no, I just so re- I'm just trying to think of games that were released in the same year or like close enough where they could be like first and third best selling games. Um, yeah, it's hot. that's the hard part. I, I I couldn't even remember what the Half Life Two then, timeline was. And then what the fuck is like inspired by Super Mario sixty four levels? And like, Bruce Willis. <laughs> it's and like, Bruce Willis. It's like it sounds like he's done like a first person shooter crossed with a platformer <laughs> crossed with like FIFA or something. Like, ah, oh, sign me up. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, uh, it's hard. I think that's Rocket League. I actually, you know, I actually have nothing. I uh, generally, I have nothing. Yeah. I don't blame you. I, t- I took a stab at heart, and it wasn't even yeah. an assured one. You heard the, the uncertainty, in my voice. This game, final clue. This game sees you bust out your best moves at a warehouse, a school. A I'm mall, sorry. I'm sorry. What? So a skate park. Downtown, no, I know. I know. So, I know what you're jam, saying. All right. So give me Burnside. the point for Tony Hawk. But what the fuck <laughs> with those three clues and Tony Hawk? <laughs> Yeah, Tony Hawk 1 and 2 occupied second and third place on the highest selling games on PlayStation that year. 
the mission structure of the game inspired by Super Mario 64 and originally when it was being developed by Neversoft Bruce Willis was the main playable oh, character oh yeah because they it was that shitty get Neversoft developed that shitty Bruce Willis game didn't they yep yeah, oh and they had the, they God. had the model left over that's why I was like I, I thought by saying Bruce Willis that the two Tony Hawks guys are like they're oh, gonna get this straight away oh my god no, um, I, I, I can I can confidently say I never knew that fucking Bruce Willis was no. somehow possibly involved in a Tony Hawks game oh I can't believe I, I didn't make see, the connection I, I even brought it up there's a shitty Bruce Willis game I didn't make the yeah. connection between Neversoft and no oh oh Dave yeah I, I I don't know I do I have known that fact but that hasn't been one that's stuck in my head yeah. oh I'll take the point what's the scoreboard 11 four, 11 four. uh how many I, questions to go? I need a moonshot here uh, we've got three questions left, Alan. All right, I mean, you could eat into that. So uh, Dave almost absolutely done me over last time. <laughs> <laughs> right. <clears throat> the princess actually is in this castle. <laughs> the princess actually is in this castle. Oh, fuck's sake. Um... <sighs> Where are you taking me with this one, Dave? Where are you taking me? I I do enjoy how at a certain point you willfully abandon clues in favour of just trying to play me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're playing ourselves, I think. I'm not sure if you're going to tell me or not, is it an actual princess, but... Uh... <sighs> I'll give you this. It is. <laughs> it is an actual princess. Okay, cool. Oh, that is... I can't remember if she actually is in the castle or not by the end of Breath of the Wild. Nope. Okay. Jack? Yeah. Hmm. Is it? Uh, I don't know why you would do this, though. Some men just want to watch the world burn, Jack. <laughs> is it Final Fantasy XII? No, I, I have no idea what that game's about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you see, much like Mark, I just thought, if he's just doing this, like he's done Tony Hawk's and FF12 yeah. back-to-back just to completely, absolutely shatter my life for me not getting <laughs> yeah. more than a point on either. The best is I thought the two of you like I thought the two of you get those two and the one I thought that I was going to absolutely stump me on was Solitaire and fucking Lazel cut the legs out from under me on that one. Oh I mean I don't yeah. It's the magic of the game I tell you. I'll tell you about mm. this game yeah I mean right next clue Dave. Come on Dave. Okay. Bloody hell. The idea for this game from the designer was we want to make double dragon but not a double dragon. Double dragon but not a double dragon. So, so I've given you, again, this is one of the more thought out. There is a pattern in these questions. Yeah. So I've given you what the goal of the game is in the first question. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. vaguely the genre of game here. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm trying to think what kind of fucking genre of game. Well, there's a princess at the end. Oh, my God. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to fucking drive to Newbridge and kill you, I swear. Um, For me to get there, it would take a considerable amount longer of time, so hopefully I win and I haven't got any beef with Dave. (laughs) (sighs) What princess? 
again, your third, your second clue has just absolutely thrown my train of thought off. I'm derailed. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure it's not because I'm pretty sure there's not a princess involved. But I'm just gonna say turtles in time. It is not. No. <laughs> I'm just gonna guess Super Mario. Maybe April Hunter is a. Fucking, I'm just gonna guess Super Mario uh, 64 because it's not. <laughs> she is in the castle, just in like weird portraits. But yeah, I, I don't know. Question three. This Sega game borrows heavily from the Conan films. Is it Golden Axe? It is. Okay, thank fuck for that. Do you know what? I'm glad you got that because I have never heard of that game. I yeah, it's I, it's. I was so worried putting a Genesis game in with Mister Dive into the Mega Drive over here. <laughs> the thing is, and what was the get the Seaman was the other game. Like so, but in both yeah. of these quizzes, I've just had a game where I've just flat out known absolutely fuck all about <laughs> it. Wouldn't have guessed that in a thousand years. Uh, See, I've never finished the Golden Axe game, so I don't have a fucking clue if there was a princess at the end. The final clue would have been retrieve this shiny tree-cutting tool and help free the kingdom of Yuria. There you go. (laughs) And I still wouldn't have got it. (laughs) (laughs) uh, There is an axe, and it is golden. Silvery scimitar would have been Jack's guess. Uh, We are Jack 11, Mark 6, heading into the last two questions. Diamond chainsaw. Oh, my God. Oh, Right. Uh, a moonshot here, uh, Mark, could make this a very interesting uh, last question. I might not get a chance to have a moonshot. Question nine. <sighs> this game contains a level set in the school from Kindergarten Cop. <laughs> is it Bully? Canis Canem Edit? It is not, but okay. I did put in that little factoid specifically for Jack Lazelle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Mark. This is back on my theme of this is like one of those popular uh, video game trivia facts. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> not that it's popular. It's not necessarily indicative of the game. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds fun. I'll have to check this out. I probably already played it. <laughs> uh... Um, okay, so I'm just games with a score. That's where I'm going to go with. And you've said Tony Hawk's, so you've played your hand there. Tony Hawk's for a skater too. <laughs> <laughs> if you did red. that, Dave, I would, seriously, if you did that back to back, I would it'd be so funny to me. I, I'd... Okay, so I know there's a school in it, and I, I have to believe at some point you're going to use a game that you like, because I know I did it with mine. So I'm going to say Silent Hill. It's Silent Hill? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's 11.10? Get fucked. <laughs> On... <laughs> Two times in a row, Jack has brought it to the brink of nearly throwing it away. I just... The... I, I've got the words. They're not happening. <laughs> um... The clues, the remaining clues were elements including the creepy enemies and dark puzzles in this game are based on The Lost World by Arthur Conan Doyle and Lewis Carroll's advent- Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I probably would have guessed Silent Hill with that, so thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> this game and its sequels represent a Japanese perspective on ho- Western horror cinema and a Philip adaptation of this game was made and it was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know, that could have just... That, that would put it wide open for what the answer could have been at that point. 
Yeah, I, I had in brackets there, depending on how stumped you'd been to that point, to include that it starred Sean Bean. Yeah, I think Sean Bean would have, yeah. And it's the only yeah. film he doesn't die in. There is a point in it going oh into God. the final, final question. Oh, Christ. Question 10. When it was finally released, the home version of this game was originally a Sears and Roebuck exclusive. Uh, 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 excuse me, a what now? You could only buy it in Sears, the department store. <laughs> the home exclusive. Yes, the home version. So that would mean that it was a port of an arcade game. And you could only buy it in that specific department store, which would lead me to believe that Okay, there's either one or two reasons. Either it's a contractual thing where they're doing it, so you go to them to buy it, or maybe it's, I don't know, something to do with um, it being a problematic game and only they would snap the title and it's a port of an arcade game. So what... Okay, I'll... Go Moonshot to start with and say Mortal Kombat. It is not Mortal Kombat. Nah. Alright, no worries. It's gotta be a lot older than that, surely. Um Well I don't know what's like I don't know I have no reference for Sears or the other thing is so I don't know. Does Sears still exist? I'm not sure. See like there's a the whole the whole I, I know it went from being a department store to being a catalogue at a certain point. Yeah, the Sears catalogue thing. Um I mean, fucking old, old. I mean, I'm thinking old, old school games. Are you thinking, like, 80s? No, uh, yeah, so, like, I don't okay. know, like, fucking... I've got two games in my head, and I feel like if I say one of them and it's wrong, it's going to be the other one, or it's going to be a game close to it, and Mark's going to get it on the next go. I'm going to have to push you. Pong. It's Pong. Ah, oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> yes. I was like, it's either Pong or Space Invaders. Fifteen ten. <laughs> uh, the next clues were the arcade cabinet debuted at a place called Andy Cap's Tavern. The game. Yeah, I'd have got it from that. Fuck. The game is featured in episodes of television series including That 70s Show, yes. King of the Hill, and Saturday Night Live in 2006. An American Express commercial featured Andy Roddick and this game. Uh, and then finally, uh, the designer Bushnell based the game's concept on an electronic ping pong game included in the Magnavox Odyssey, the first home video game console. In response, Magnavox later sued Atari for patent infringement. See, I remember the story specifically about that Pong machine being stored in that bar and yeah. just, you know, how it exploded from there. Oh, my God. Well, congratulations, Jack. You've won round one of the unnamed quiz. Oh. With a score 15 to 10 on this round and having defeated me also. Congratulations, my friend. And myself and Mark will both be coming for that crown. Uh, on that note, that oh. is the end of another episode of Link to the Cast. I'm, I'm not sweating. calling him an amazing genius slash human, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's part of the rules. Um, I'm an amazing detective slash genius. <laughs> 
that's going to do it for another episode of Link to the Cast. Thanks for joining us once again. At Link to the Cast on Twitter is where you need to go to keep up with the show as they're posted and interact with us on there, what you're liking, if you're enjoying the quiz, this, that, and the other. Uh, individually, I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Mark Robinson X2. Correct. Hey! And at Jack Lazell for Jack. Um, we'll see you again next week. Uh, more fun games and hijinks. Talk to you then.